Let's, uh, let's turn to the scriptures. We look with me at the passage from Mark. We're going to be in this, in this section for a little bit. And uh, let's uh, read together um, what Christ says to us. How does Christ tell us? How does Christ tell us we should listen to his word? If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Amen. I'm especially intrigued by a little expression that I want to draw your attention to. We're going to read this, and then we'll, we're going to take some exegetical note of some things, and I think some theological note. And then what I want to do is um, jump into some application. Um, so uh, one, of the, one, of the, one, of the, one of the liabilities of going to seminary is... Um, uh, learning things but not applying them. Do you know? Do you know? Uh, learning things but not applying them. This is not peculiar to seminary education. I know, for example, there's nothing more useless than an engineer who just graduated from school. Come, come on, anybody want to confess? Anybody know this? Yeah, you, they're useless. And although they have a head of knowledge, they don't know how to apply it. They don't know how to apply it. But this happens again and again in the church. You can be catechized, you can grow up in the church, and you can know a lot of theological facts, but they don't bear fruit. They don't hit the street. The rubber doesn't ever hits the road. Well, there's a particular expression in this text, and it happens right away. It's, called, it's, it, it's translated in the ESV, on the way. Now, the interesting thing, after, verse, after 827, I'm sorry, 27, all the way to chapter 10, verse 52, this particular expression happens seven times. Something momentous is happening in the narrative, and I want you to catch it. And I'm always eager that you get a sense that Mark is very intentionally layering and, and using language in order to take us to take us into his narrative, his story. And it's the story of what? The Son of God, his thesis. The Son of God is Jesus Christ. And he's come with good news. And the advancement of the story, the advancement of the program, the advancement of the purpose, the advancement of the... It's all happening. There's something kind of kinetic. And this expression, on the way, happens again and again. The reason I like that is, in, in, in the original, it means on the street. There's another good translation. On the street. I've already said, "Early taking it to the streets." Does anybody remember that song? Yeah. Anyway, um, I know some of you do. I know some of you know this song. I'm looking at it. Everybody I know knows this song. Was it Doobie Brothers? Was it? Yes, Doobie Brothers taking it to the street. Uh, so, um, so this idea that. If the rubber hits the road, taking on the way the narrative, oh, there's something there. And the reason I'm excited about it and interested in it is I want to, I'm hoping that we can take Jesus out of like idea world and head world into heart and life and hands, the things we do and say and the way we live. That's the goal. So um, let's, uh, let's, let's read this text then. You're going to see this, this right here. And we're going to be in this passage for a, for a minute just because there's so, much, there's so much here. Let's begin reading. And Jesus went on with his 
disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. Others say, Elijah. Others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You're not setting our mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whatever save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. This is my moment. I need to to pray. Father, I I, I pray you would open up my heart, my mouth, my mind, uh, that you would give us ears that know how to hear, and you would give me a mouth that knows how to speak. um, help, Help us, Father. Connect us with this truth, the truth of Jesus. And uh, as we kind of open it up, uh, as your Holy Spirit opens up, I, I pray you forgive the, one, forgive the sins of the one who speaks, for there are many. And give us renewed passion, renewed desire, renewed zeal, joy. Some of us need it for the first time. Some of us for the first time need to see your son, Father. And we ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, this is a 2,000-year-old narrative, right? These are, this is 2,000 years old, and it was written in Greek. And it was written by a Jew to a bunch of Jews. Well, we don't know, the audience is probably Jewish and Greek, because we can tell there are certain attempts to translate Jewish ideas to Greek people. It's a cross-cultural document. But some of the treasures, some of the treasures of the text are missing for you and me. And in fact, uh, one of the treasures of this text that's missing to, uh, to uh, Gentiles, especially, is Shema Israel Adonai. Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Every day in the, in the, in the temple, even to this day, that is cried, that is called the Shema. Shema means here. And it's called the Shema. And it's spoken in the synagogue and has for thousands of years. If there's any core uh, creed or liturgy that almost all Jewish people have, it's that expression. And we read it 
for our confession of sin. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, that's that's not in that text. I'm sorry, this is later. Uh, self. Oh, teach this to your children as they go. And there's a, what's one of the words there? I don't know if you noticed it. You can turn back to the confession time. Teach them while they're going on the way. Why, why, would, why would I be so interested in that? Because the first thing that, that the writer Mark is doing is he is locking in this Christ idea, which is, the, which is Messiah. It's a distinctly Jewish idea of a coming, someone's going to come and rescue everything, fix everything. But he's locking right here that this text is a fulfillment of the law of God given in Deuteronomy 6. So what is Jesus really doing? Well, what's, what's Mark telling us? Jesus is the one who walked along the who, who walks on the way. He walks uh, walks on the way, and you'll learn that this 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 whiteboard's really for me. It's not for you. Uh, it's it's kind of it's way where I can keep my ideas flowing. But he walks on the way. So in a sense, on the way is a fulfillment text. Does that, does that make sense? It's a way. Then Mark locks this in. You're supposed to clue in, and the reason we don't clue in is because we're, we're, we're Gentiles. We're supposed to clue in that all the, the, all the obedience of the law, which was to be about on the way, Jesus is doing that. He is doing what all the previous fathers and friends and leaders and priests failed to do. He is along the way, and he is on the way with them. <laughs> and it's, it is Old Testament reality, Old Testament law, Get hitting the street, becoming real. And the language is a clue in the narrative. So there's a way this, this looks back. But another, there's another way it also it looks forward. Uh, we're supposed to realize, what's the, what's the implication if you're walking on the way? You're going somewhere. You have a destination. So what you're supposed to clue in is, and, and, and Jesus starts tipping it. He's tipping his hand. He's telling you. He is very self-aware that he is on his way somewhere in particular. He's on his way to actually do something. He is on his way to a cross. He's on his way to a place of death and destruction and shame, of nakedness and, and ugliness, of suffering and, 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 and violence. That's not, but that's not even a destination. That's not his destination. Because he's on his way what? Through that, through death into, into resurrection. He is on his way. And, and, and there's an idea here that, 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 that so I love the seven times. You know, when, when an author does something like that, when he, when he does something seven times, it's usually a clue, and I think this is a clue, that Mark's narratives are not scribbles. They're not scribbles. They're... He is constructing it carefully. He's a good writer. He's a good writer, and, and, he, and, and so this, was also, this is all anticipatory. So, it, so as it goes backwards, it fulfills, it fulfills, these texts fulfill Old Testament realities in Deuteronomy 6, and then it also anticipates uh, the, the, work of, the, work of, the work of Christ and he knows he even describes himself. He knows it's going to happen. He's aware of it. He even says it plainly. This is a whole, there's a transition that has happening here. Uh, the, 
and it's, it's interesting. So you know, remember the whole parables problem? What's the problem with parables? They're hard to understand. And, you know, let's be candid. I mean, there are parables that, that New Testament interpreters 2,000 years later kind of go, we're really not sure what the point of that is. They're mysterious. They hide things. But now that, now that things are in motion, now that Christ is in motion to say, he's in motion to do, to do his act of love, he's in motion to, to love, He's in motion to go to the cross and die. He's in motion, and he's not a victim. He's aware. He's going there with intention. Now, all of a sudden, things get very plain, very open. Very, he, he strips away mystery. He starts giving them details. And it's funny, even when he does that, what do they do? They don't get it. They don't get it. They're clueless. They're confused. They're disoriented. And they're correcting Jesus, which is my favorite Part of the text, because that's exactly what I would do. I, I, yeah, I would correct Jesus. Trust me. I'm a, I'm a pastor and a theologian. Of course I would. All right, we, so we have a, a, an idea here. What does this mean uh, theologically? Well, it means a number of things. And I think it's an invitation. I want to I, I take this and begin to apply it. But um, the first way I want to apply it is that um, there's a theological idea of Christ's imminence that's really, really, really present. It's really present. And it's really beautiful because when you go back to Deuteronomy 6, <sighs> Moses is teaching the Shema, the creed statement to the ancient people. But there's no intimation in that. You're supposed to, even if you're, if you're going to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength and mind, that he's going to, he's going to, oh, I'm sorry. That's the first time I've done that. It's okay. You stand, stand up here. You're my object lesson today. Sorry. All right. Thank, thank you. Uh, thank you. You see, this, oh, is, oh, thank you. this is on the way. You see that? He's, this is where the rubber hits the road. You intentionally kicked that over. I, I intentionally kicked it over just for that reason. What the, the picture here is this, is, is that, look, me and my brother, the, prom, the, the command never intimates, really, that, Je, that Jesus is going to be like this with us on the way. Does that make sense? In other words, the, prom, the on the way language is a way of taking all of the law of God. And, you know, it's one thing. It's, imminence means like imminent, like right with us. We're all fairly comfortable with the idea of a God who, who's going to wag his finger at you and tell you, this is what you should do and this is what you shouldn't do, right? That's, that's a common vision of God or, or religion, right? This is what you should do, this is what you shouldn't do. Wagging the finger, right? That's just an obnoxious gesture. I don't think I do. I do that when I preach? I don't think I do. <laughs> Wagging the finger. But in the, when the on-the-way language is captured by Mark... God is not wagging the finger anymore. What's he doing? What's, what's, what's God doing? He's on the way with them. <laughs> it, 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 God, God did not merely choose, he, he, he didn't merely choose to be the, who he is as God, the lawgiver. He chose to be a God who would be close and intimate and walk with you. It's a return to Eden. It's a return to the, uh, it's a return, isn't it? What's, what's, it's this wonderfully homey, sweet, 
little garden walk, and God's like, where's my walking partner? And what's Adam doing? He's hiding. He's ashamed. And it's a return to that union. It's a return to that moment. It's a return to God and man, God and women, in, in loving partnership and love and together. It's, it's a rescue and a return. It's a, it's, a, it's a return. It's a rebuilding of Eden <laughs> on the way. You see how much is packed in this now? All the theological expect, uh, expectation, all the joyful expectation of a God who loves us and saves us in the, in, 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 in the way he goes, in the streets that he walks on. And this, this concept of his imminence means his blood, his blood, as he dies on a cross, it can be applied to Luke 2,000 years later in such a way that Luke is a cleansed man and Elena is a renewed woman. And that you and I can connect with that, that event, that it's God, man, that the event shakes through his space and time to have power for gaze today and power for me. And that it, it, the imminence didn't stop on the dusty roads of Palestine, right? It didn't stop becoming relevant or immediate or applicable. And it's accessible to a young woman or a young man who says and wants to know God and says, I want to know you. <laughs> this on-the-way language is, is God sidling up to you today you know, in the ways and places and directions and paths that we're pursuing, coming onto the streets of San Francisco and the streets and the dirty places of our lives and doing what? I'll, I'll walk with you. I'll walk with you. I will save you. I will save a man like you. I will save a woman like you. I will rescue. I, it's what I do. And uh, it's the promise of, of his imminence. How can we, what can we do with this? All right, let's, uh, I, I have some places of application I want to go. And the first place is the first application is some of us need a course correction. <laughs> some of us need a course correction. Um, you ever heard that? There's a, there's a scary, there's a scary uh, Christian word called repentance. You ever heard of that? You ever heard that word? It means change. I always picture if I, if I start talking about repentance that I should have a an A board, one of those A frames, you know, and she should repent for the end is near, you know, and I should be walking around screaming. Uh, uh, the word repent in the Hebrew means to turn around. That's all it means. Do a U turn. This idea that God uses of like traffic. The concept of traffic as a way of understanding how easy it is to come to God is just you turning around, turning away from what you have, and what, you, what you want, and what you're pursuing, and the life that has been so empty, and doing what? Just turning to Him. Course correction. First application. If he's this imminent in your life, Simon, then this means he's this available. There's no place you can go or have been. There's, almost, there's no place you can go or have been. I don't care if it was a, uh, one of the, the opium dens of the city or a, a whorehouse or a financial office. 
where God, our God, is not available for you to turn to him. And I know, I've known people that have come to faith during an acid trip. Well, how'd that happen? It happened. He's a pastor now, the PCA. Because there's no way or place or street or road where he is not there for the course correction. That's for somebody to come. I'm, I'm going to invite you to come to faith today for the first time. The first time to energy, enter, entertain your heart that you could give your heart and life and turn to Christ and know him. And you will be known. But there's a second person I want to talk to. Maybe you've known God for a long time. And you're a little, I want to encourage you that uh, with looking to him all the time. And not even at your sin. For every one look at your sin, take ten looks at Jesus. Why? Do you know race car drivers are trained? And this is really clever. And I, I found this out with riding motorcycles. very true, too. Do you know wherever you look? In an accident, wherever your head's faced, do you know what happens? That's where the car goes. It's just, for some reason, this is tried and true. Wherever you happen to look, that's where the car will wind up going. Doesn't that explain some of the crashes in your life? When you should have been looking at Jesus? Some of us have, so have any of you kind of been in car wrecks like that in your life, like, you, know, you ran off the road, you went off the rails, the wheels came off. A lot of times, why was it? You weren't, you weren't looking at him. You just started looking somewhere else. And your life went that direction. Turn around again. Turn back. On the way implies course correction. Two. <laughs> on the way, on the way, um, what does it mean for Jesus? Jesus is going to a cross. It's an ancient instrument of torture in the Roman world. He knows this is all happening according to plan. And he knows that that's not the destination. He's going to go through the cross into the, all the power of God, all the power of him as God in the resurrection. But there's something here for us. He says, if anybody would come after them, let them deny themselves and come after me. When you plow into darkness, doesn't mean you're not on the way. Does that make sense? This is one of the things that happens to me. When things don't go well, when things are going wrong and you know, marriage goes sideways and career looks scary and, and money's short. And you start, what do you start questioning? What's the first thing you start thinking? Oh, God doesn't love me anymore. I'm, I'm doing, am I, what am I doing wrong? Does anybody do this? What am I doing wrong? <laughs> what, what decision have I, how have I screwed it all up? What have I, and what are we doing? What are we doing again? We're believing a false gospel. We're just like Simon. We want to correct Jesus. When Jesus says, I'm going to the cross, what does Simon say? What does Peter say? No, you're not. Because that's not what Benny Hinn preached. Yeah, I'm actually saying his name out loud. You know why? Because him and other preachers like him preach that if you sow in anything with God, he's just going to bless you and give you everything you want. And you're going to get rich and you're going to have power. You're going to have... Not, not our Savior. 
Which of you is greater than our Savior? That you would have a better life than him. What's the clue here? What's the clue here? That even when you're walking into the, into the suffering of your, your cross, every one of you has one. Every one of you has a dark day coming. Every one of you does. Elizabeth's having a dark day right now. <laughs> She's just more verbal than most of you. Right? Right? Seriously. And we, and we all have dark days coming. But do not forget the promises of God. Do not forget the tr that in your trials, as you went to the death of your father last year, who was there with you? It was our father. He was on the way. He was on the street with us. It's immediate and it's real. Don't be discouraged. Third, I think, so the first one was, uh, I want you to have course correction. The second is, sometimes our way goes through a cross. Third, I see an invitation to focus on now. And what does I love about this text? Is you ever the expression, some, I forget how the expression goes. I just thought of it was, uh, life is something that happens while you're on your way towards your goals. You know, like when you're on your way to do it, something else. Yeah. Life happens. And uh, there's a glorious capture that Christ has invested right there and then. Then. Now. Um, uh, somebody, I'm gonna, I don't know, I'm trying to figure out if I should be vulgar. Should I be vulgar, McLaren? No, all right, okay, all right. I won't be vulgar. I'm tempted to, but I'm not going to be. Uh, but uh, but so, it was actually a vulgar person who shared this with me. That's why the quote. I, but anyway, if you have one foot in, tomo in tomorrow and the other foot in the past, then all you're doing is <laughs> crapping on today. That's not even it. That wasn't even, uh, You're just, you're ignoring today. <laughs> But I liked it. You know why? Look, I'm not saying the past isn't important. Mark is, 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 is giving you all these signals about the beauty of the past because of all the promises even in Deuteronomy and the law. And they all predicted Christ would be on the way with them, telling them all about who God was. And it promises the future of, of death and resurrection. But he is present with them right there. Um, and what, all right, here, give me an example. Classic San Francisco thing. I'm only going to be here a year. Or I'm only going to be here a couple of years. Or I don't know how long. I'll... And what do we do? We tend to ROI everything. What's the return on investment? I'm not going to really get connected with that church. You're only here four weeks. <laughs> right, Christy? Uh, Catherine? Uh, uh, but you, you say you're only, you're only, Catherine, that's right. You're only here four <laughs> weeks. But we get this ROI, and, and, and we can do the same thing to you, right? We could be like, well, she's only here for four, we're not going to invest. Or, or these people are not, they're not going to be here long. Christ was only here three years, and he gave his life. I, I am so tired of everybody hedging the now, because, oh, I don't know where I'm going, and, you know, I don't know. And, I, and, I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm just keeping in touch with all my friends back home. And, I, and I'm just trying to, instead of being what? Immediately present and available for the work of God that is happening here in this city now. You have no excuse. Neither do I. Neither do I. Let's get, let's take it to the streets. He is on the, let's take the rubber, let's let the rubber hit the road in our lives so that we are practically in him. You see, we're doing the same, we're becoming imminent. 
Do you know, I, I, and we're, we're not, and I, I'm not, I don't want to be an ivory tower pastor. I mean, that's a nice way to live, but I, I, it's not going to work for the, for the moment that they, that's upon us, this generation, and it's, it's ruin and wreck and, and adulterous, just like Christ saying, the sinful and adulterous generation. It needs what? It needs a present gospel. And the gospel has to inhabit our lives with real presence. Otherwise, we betray him. Otherwise, we, we abandon this gospel and an imminent God. And there's no purpose or point of an imminent, present, loving Savior if we are not present. And so this is life-on-life discipleship. It's living our lives on one another's lives. It's presence in the uncomfortableness. It's presence with people who, for all intents and purposes, are acting like the devil. <laughs> right? And some of, some of the people in our lives are demonic pests. Amen? Can I get a witness? Don't, don't, I'm not talking about your spouses. Maybe I am. But what, no, what's the point, though? It doesn't matter. Christ doesn't hesitate even if his best friend doesn't get it. He's available. And now, last summer, before some of the wheels went off my life, this past year, Jordan and I and McLaren, we were doing daily, uh, four times a week, we were doing phone calls of accountability for five to ten minutes, living life on life. And, he, and Jordan just asked me recently, you want to start that back up again? I think it's time to start it back up again. It's something I like to see us doing. It's living our lives in one another's lives. It's the way it's supposed to be. It's the way the kingdom goes forward. Daily living together is what the kingdom was supposed to be about. It's not merely a program. I'm not advocating some new discipleship program, guys. There's nothing programmatic about this. What is this? This is opportunism, right? Christ is an opportunist. He is grabbing the moments. What's the next, what's the next point? As you, why are you grabbing those moments? What is, what, and later in the text it says, what does it profit a man? What does it profit a man? If he gained the whole world, but lose his soul. The moments and days on the way. The incidental moments in, at home. The incidental moments when you bump into people that you don't know, people you work with. Do you know what's at stake all the time? Eternal loss. As well as eternal joy. You know, Christ says, there's a moment where Christ says, and this, is, this always kind of terrifies me, every idle word will be judged. The reason that, 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 the reason that, uh, the reason that bothers me is because I'm such a, I'm such a, I'm such a stupid jokester. I'm always like saying stupid things. I have so many idle words in my life, it seems. Do we truck, do we, do we, do we identify, do we, do we think about the little parts and pieces of our day and how we talk to people and how we love and how we don't love, how we forget, all wind up having eternal consequences. They all wind up about souls, renewed souls in glory, souls, knowing God, souls, knowing eternity, or what? Souls lost. People under judgment. People who have no hope. 
And so one of the, one of the, one of the part of the on the way imminence and the way this concept kind of gets identified for us and, and, and in a sense delivers to us that, that Christ is very aware that he is taking as the son of God this eternal position, this position of eternal worth as the God of gods dying upon a cross. He's taking that eternity for all of us hangs in the balance. And he's on the way. And so everything he does has an eternal punch. And guess what? It's the same thing for you, Luke. It's the same for me. And there's an opportunity for us to really recapture and redeem the time with thinking through an eternal perspective in all of our relationships. You don't have a relationship that doesn't have an eternal dynamic. Isn't that amazing? You don't have one. It doesn't exist. It's not possible. Souls are always... Always, always at stake. I want to close with this one idea, too. Um, one of the popular ideas right now is that, uh, I've heard this before, it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. That's just stupid. Uh, people say that don't, I don't have anywhere to go, I guess, because I think that's ridiculous. But when people say that little truism, it's not about the destination, it's the journey. What they're trying to capture is people who are very goal-driven, people who are very destination-driven, people who are very metrics-driven, people who are very results-driven like we are in our day, tend to do what? They miss the point of what they're supposed to be doing on the way. In other words, the ends justify the means. Doesn't matter how we do it, as long as we get there, right? doesn't matter if we're a little bit manipulative in our communications because we're doing the work of the kingdom. Right? And what that, that expression was meant to do was to try to get to people who are very A, type A driven, and San Francisco is full of these kinds of people, uh, but you know, just always achievement driven. And, with, and, and what that's, and, and so there's a correction here, right? In this kind of thinking, there's a correction to people who are merely goal driven. To, to actually realize that on the way in your life, Nellie, on your way in your life is as important as where you're going. I'm going to say they're as important as one another. Not one does not trump the other. One does not trump the other. One does not more important than the other. What is, um, I close with this, this quote from Aristotle, that, 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 that uh, great giant of the faith. Thanks for laughing. <laughs> I make these. I think these jokes are funny, but no, I don't. Idle words again. You see, you know, you see, I'm just constantly doing it. If this much is at stake, if Christ is doing this with the intention of bringing love to this room, and it's possible, I see Christ living out what Aristotle said here, and maybe you've heard of it before. Excellence, and when he says excellence, he means morally, spiritually, in every single way of it. Excellence uh, is not an action. It, what Aristotle is saying is what we, we, we are what we repeatedly do over and over again. Whatever you do all the time, that's what you are. That's what you are. Whatever you do most consistently and habitually, that is what you are. Therefore, excellence, excellence of soul, renewal, redemption, and true spiritual life is not an action. It's a habit. It was not enough for you to give your life to Christ years ago 
I mean, that, that was real and true, but why is it real and true? Because, McLaren, you have continued by habit to what? Turn your life to Christ and seek him. And that's what Christ is inviting us to do. We have heaven before us. We have his joy and his love, his eternity and his blessedness, his forgiveness, everything in store for us. In light of this, in light of this and all of these wonderful witnesses, in light of his own sacrifice for us, in light of the, of the immense treasure in which he has deposited in our lives, in our minutes, in our hours, in our days, let us together redeem the time, right? Let's redeem that time and ask him to redeem it where the minutes and days and hours and moments of our lives will shine and people will come along the way and they'll be on the way. I don't know, on the way wherever they're going, on the way in their lives. And as you're on the way, doing, you're, you're claiming that time and, you're, and, and conversion will happen, renewal. And uh, we become a people, people of worship and faith. Let's pray. Father, I pray that the rubber would hit the road, that we would take it to the streets, and that we would stop being an idol in our theology and active in our love. Anything we know that we don't put into practice, just judgment on us. And we're, we, we are people who have been so, we, 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 we deserve judgment. We come again to ask you, Father, to forgive us for all the ways we have not take it, take, taken it to the streets. We've been happy to have a very uh, abstract knowledge of you. And I'm, I want to say thank you that you did not, you were not content to have an abstract knowledge of us. <laughs> but you walked with us. You walk with us today. Father, I pray that you would make your son's love and blood real here today. To somebody or to someone who has never really known, never really said, I never gave my life to Christ, that they would do it. They would turn that course correction and they would turn to you. I pray for some people who have been very religious all their lives, that they would have a new found passion to fix their eyes on you, on the way, maybe in the car, all the different places we go, all the ways and roads and streets we travel in our lives. And uh, we redeem them all. You would redeem them all. I pray for the Holy Spirit to take this message, Father, and make it real to our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. So we want to get to the children. Um, and uh, while we're taking communion, we'll be praying for the children. And so I want to have the elements are going to be held by McLaren. If you'll hold them again. And Jordan, if you'll help, hold, hold, help do that. I'll call you up when you're ready to do that. You guys can, I want you to get the elements, though, before, while we're doing the Apostles' Creed. Um, we're turning to communion. Uh, this is our first application of the message, by the way. On the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Take and eat. In the same way, he also took a cup of wine. This is wine. We have grape juice in the middle for those who prefer it. And uh, he said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. The cup of the covenant. Take and drink. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. What I received, I'm imparting to you now. Now, this is the first application of the sermon. I hope you can see it. Uh, Christ now here in the elements becomes tactile. He becomes accessible. You are supposed to get the idea that Jesus is never meant to be an abstraction. An abstract Jesus can't save anybody. Only a Jesus on the way. Only a Jesus who's real. 
And so when we come to communion, we are celebrating what? He is real. He is as real as the bread and wine. If you have faith in Jesus and you're a sinner and you know that you've ruined and wrecked your life, but your trust is in Jesus and you know him, then this is your table. You come and get it. If you're a part of him and his community and his church, then this is your table. Come and get it. Because you need to apply this sermon right now on the way up here, right? On the way where you're going after church. On the way. This is, on, this is a pit stop, right? You're on the way. We're doing it. It's tactile. Tactile. And it's uh, the rubber hitting the road. But let, me let, let me let the rubber hit the road really hard here. If, uh, if McLaren, if you think that you come to this table because you're a good person, then you're not worthy of my father's table. Good people are not worthy. I love that. <laughs> the people who think they're good people are not worthy. <laughs> Only sinners are worthy of this table. Some of you are skeptics. Some of you watch this with disbelief and wonder, can God really be real? Then I'm hoping as you watch that you uh, are enticed, envious. You want what we've got. Because uh, I tell you, you should want it. It's awesome. <laughs> but if you're a skeptic, I want you to watch. And, and I'm glad you're here to watch and respect us as we, as we predict this table. And, uh, and uh, hopefully someday you'll join us in it. All right. We're going to enter a moment of organized chaos. We've been doing some new things, praying for kids as they come forward. And um, I'm trying to figure out, let's stand. We're going to say the Apostles' Creed together. After that, we're going to be singing nothing but the blood as we're coming forward and getting the, the bread and the wine. Some of you will hold the crackers, and um, we'll be ready to pray with people. How's that? That sounds good. Uh, Christian, tell me, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, Christ so come here. His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. And the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.